Hi, it's David Averin with the Customer Experience Advantage Podcast. You know, the workplace has changed and COVID has in many ways accelerated that change from remote working to rotating shifts and to even how we share our office space. Business has been changing. So how will we connect and collaborate and ideate and remain productive in the workplace of the future, which is now, by the way. My, my guest today is Brian Staten. He's president and CEO of HMC Architects, who is on the leading edge of creating those workspaces and helping leaders prepare for what's now and what's next. It's David Avern on the Customer Experience Advantage podcast, back in 20 seconds. You're listening to the Customer Experience Advantage podcast with David Averin. Featuring candid conversations with some of the most influential leaders in business today. Sit back and listen in, or feel free to watch the video version online. This is the Customer Experience Advantage Podcast, and here's David Averin. Hi, and welcome to the Customer Experience Advantage Podcast. My name, once again, is David Averin. Um, thanks to all of you who subscribe and all of you who listen every week. Most of the time we talk about how customers buy how clients make their decisions. What is that experience that we provide? But you know, a lot of that experience also translates into the organizational experience, the employee experience. You know, we talk about CX and of course UX for user experience, but there's also EX and EX is the employee experience and how we work and we all work wherever we work um, impacts not only our satisfaction and our productivity, but of course how we interact with our customers and clients as well. So today I'm really excited to talk to Brian Staten from HMC Architects. Um, just brilliant um, as a team, everyone on their team. And, and I've had a chance to, to work with them before. And I love the conversation around um, not just the changes and prognosticating what the changes, but, but how that makes organizations and the people within a more effective. And certainly um, interior designers and architects have been talking about this for a long time, but we have never seen the kinds of changes that we've seen over the last couple of years. And once again, it's not about COVID, but it's very much about a post-COVID world. What do we learn? What did we learn? What works? Um, what doesn't work? Uh, I think we've seen that in a lot of, a lot of things that, things that were, were prognosticated. Uh, when actually put into practice, were less effective and certainly less appealing than we had been led to believe. And so very few people are on the front lines more than, than Brian. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for, for joining us. I will tell you really quickly before we get into a little bit, quick his introduction. And for those watching the video version of this on my website, I'll put on my smart glasses. Uh, as president and CEO of HMC Architects, Brian's collaborative leadership and commitment to partnering with clients to improve lives and communities through architecture is fundamental to setting the company apart as a leading design firm. He's been with the firm over 27 years with experience spanning all aspects of architecture and industry, including project management, programming, design, construction, uh, administration. He leads with humility, is known for creating a diverse, positive workforce environment and where others are empowered to do their best work. His passion is the intersection of architecture and people and believes that HMC success is attributed to the talented staff and clients, um, which is certainly <clears throat> great, um, great way of, of, of looking at your team and why you do what you want. Let's talk practically for our listeners, for our viewers. What have we learned in the last couple of years as so many people were forced to work remotely, adopt technologies that in many cases were, were present, but weren't widely used. Um, 
tell us from your perspective, from an architecture and a design perspective, what do we learn? Well, first of all, thank you for having me this morning and those nice compliments, David. I appreciate that. Uh, I think the world changed on, what was it, March 13th, March 14th, I forget, it was a Friday. And we all realized that we could no longer work in the office and we needed to send everybody home. And it was a concept that people talked about for many, many years and had lots of reasons why it couldn't work. But that Friday for HMC Architects, we shifted from six offices to over 300 offices and everybody went home. <clears throat> and we quickly learned that it's a challenge. We had a lot to do. There were people who had kids, people who had uh, uh, family members they needed to care for. But over the first three or four months, people were really looking forward to getting back into the office. But after six months of working from home, realized they really started to get it to work. And they found that the <clears throat> concentration that they could get working on projects at home was ideal. What wasn't ideal was the fact that we were missing out on collaborating. And you forget those serendipitous moments of conversations and overhearing things at the coffee bar or at an adjacent desk is critical to your development as an individual and regardless of what practice you're in or what business you're in. We are people and we need to be with people. We're not designed to be uh, isolated. And so we really started to look at what is the office of the future? And we feel that the office of the future is really a resource center. The percentages of people who want to be there every day are small. I would say the majority of the people want a hybrid experience, a few days in the office, a few days home. And then some of our clients, like higher ed clients, realize that commercial real estate is very expensive. Spaces are very expensive to have and maintain. And so our higher ed clients are now looking at having more remote employees and re reconfiguring and remodernizing those existing facilities that might have been admin and turn it over to the students and have to build less square footage. And so I think if anything, the short of it is, is that we will be seeing, at least for HMC, we will be seeing probably a 30% reduction in the amount of square footage that we lease every month in order to do our work. And we're looking at studying that right now on various components with furniture and how would those uh, spaces work in an, in, a, in an office environment. We're also using uh, virtual tools like Miro where you can collaborate as a group in a, a defined uh, sort of a virtual office or a virtual conference room and do your work. And so there's been a lot of change and a lot of adaption uh, or adoption, I should say, over the last- Well, actually both, right? Adopting yes. and adapting. Yes, I mean, over the last two years, if we can all believe this, we're coming up on a two-year mark. It Talk to me in terms of <clears throat> where that pendulum is swinging, because we, we certainly learned that we can, we can make it work. It's not always ideal. We are missing the collaboration, or as you said, the serendipity of the unexpected conversations that happen in the hallways, um, by the water cooler, if anybody really has those anymore. But, <laughs> but we are realizing that there is a need to connect in person. Yes. So talk to us from a design and an architecture perspective. What do those, because I guess we're looking at retrofit and we're looking at new construction, right? How do we repurpose and how do we design spaces so that they are a resource center, as you said? What does that physically look like? And how do we interact with it? in a way that not just potentially saves 
money because we've got a smaller space that we're renting, but how do we maximize the effectiveness? Because some certain people have to be at work, certain departments and things need to be there. What is that physical space? Paint that picture for us. Well, you, you start to break the office down into zones. And so you will still have a percentage of the office that are uh, traditional desks that's got your five to 10% of those who like to come in every day and they feel that they need to own the real estate and they want to be in the office every day. It's a certain generation. Uh, then there's an also a, a secondary section within the office that will have what we call hoteling stations. And that is a desk that you can come in, you come in and pick one of those open desks and you sit down, It's they're, they're open for everybody. And then we also have then start to have collaboration spaces, which are have a lot more soft seating. It might have like a, a, a picnic tile, picnic style table where people can sit around mm -hmm. and talk and work or, or eat and kind of hash out what they're working on. And they'll re you reserve those spaces for different lots of time. You say, I'm going to have my team in on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 to 2, and I'm going to take one of those collaboration spaces, and we're going to talk about what we're working on and kind of get the energy and the collaboration going on the project and really look at what are the solutions that we're applying to that particular client and that particular project. So you have these multi-zone places around the office, and the resulting is, is that it actually takes less square footage to do that, and it actually opens up better actually than it's just a traditional office. There's always those people who like a quiet zone. There's those who like it loud. This gives you much more flexibility to kind of adapt to yourself and your own personality in order to where you want to sit and work and, and collaborate with your folks. What, what about the, the social aspect? The, the fact is we recognize if we, if we break our life up into thirds, we miss a third of it because we're asleep. Right. So our waking life, if yeah. you, you divide that. I mean, literally, we lose about 23 years of our life we miss because we're asleep for it. So while we're awake, the one of the great things, whether it's meeting your potential spouse, creating your peer group and all those things as well of having that collaborative space. And I'm not trying to pay, play devil's advocate. I'm trying to ask, how are we going to address how are employers going to address that, I mean, are we just going to abdicate to Starbucks? Are we just going to abdicate to a WeWork kind of a situation as well? Because, and, we're, and let me tell you what's driving this, not only because me, I'm, I'm an extrovert to the core, uh, part of why I make my living on stage, um, speaking and presenting and, and uh, consulting, but I am the, the father of five. We are new empty nesters. And I'll tell you, my kids um, who are no longer kids are struggling with profound loneliness. Mm -hmm. um, and part of it was imposed on them because, of course, they're, they're working remotely, but they're coming from an environment where they were part of their sorority, sorority, they were part of their fraternity, very, very active through college and everything else, tons of friends to the point where they're sitting by themselves or with their cat for eight hours a day. And then three hours before that, as they're getting ready, maybe a couple hours after that for dinner or something before they go to sleep. Um, how sustainable, I'm mean, certainly from a financial and logistic perspective, it works for employers. How is this working for their employees? And what do we put on your, your pull out your crystal ball? How are we going to deal with that? I think that one, if you go back at the beginning of the pandemic to touch on a little bit, uh, we had a lot of employees who are new to this profession who did live alone. And they were the first ones that said, can I just please go to the office? I just need to get out of my apartment. There's nobody here. And I think that 
that's when it sort of triggered for me that a lot of what this isolation is doing is not healthy. It's like we're almost going to have sort of a post-traumatic syndrome from being home too long. It really affects people's mental health. And so- Certainly with our kids, those who are home from school during it. Yeah. We're not designed to be uh, in isolation. That's what, you know, that's what they used to do to prisoners in the war. You, you, You want to be in an office, you need interaction. And so we tried to do it virtually a few times during the pandemic. With some hit and misses, but we yeah, realized it's a that modicum of success. They they're just not the same as when you can actually see somebody, and so we want to. We are putting together more social programs for people to do things in the office together, food trucks, various other kind of things that people can then take that opportunity to connect with one another on a social level. It, is that part of the conversation? But let me ask you, yeah. Brian. Is that part of the, the conversation? Once again, we're talking to Brian Staten from HMC Architects. Um, I know you're very collaborative. So when you're working with with designers, construction, but also leaders of organizations, what is the space and how is it going to work for them? From your perspective, are leaders going to have to um, enhance their, oh, I'm trying to think the best way to put this, their emotional intelligence to recognize how to lead from afar or to lead when the, the proximity is sporadic? And how does design and architecture um, facilitate that or get in the way of that? I think that it has to, uh, yeah, the, the environment, the built environment has to be augmented in order to create different experiences within any setting, whether it's educational, healthcare, office, uh, that we have learned uh, through this pandemic that we cannot return to what we had prior. And that a traditional office that everybody's got a desk and everybody, or, or a, a university where everybody's got a seat in the, in the room, in the classroom, is, is in the past. And that there is some value in having some, what I would call downtime, that you get to, you get to really focus and get your work done is kind of healthy. But then uh, we have to overcome the mentality of it or the mental uh, burden of it of being by yourselves with opportunity to socially collaborate with one another, even if it's just, you know, having your team come in on a Tuesday for lunch, let's all buy, we'll buy lunch for you. Why don't you guys all come in and just to get everybody together. Yeah. Yes. Because you need, we need that as humans, we need that connectivity in order to really keep us upright and thinking out loud and challenging one another through stories or experiences or the work product. Is that going to be a challenge for leaders from a uh, recruitment and retention perspective? I think some of the uh, work from home sound very attractive. And yes, we know our dogs and our cats are going to miss us when we go back to work. But I think you're right. I think there's a whole new generation of people coming in who need not just the social connection. That's a given. But they need mentoring. Yes. And they need, and, and as we talked before about that serendipity of somebody knocking on the door and say, hey, Brian, you got 10 seconds, right? We're scheduling those meetings right? The Zoom meetings and everything else. Um, but are, are, are from a design perspective, are you seeing an increased role of helping leaders understand how to use space better to facilitate this kind of connection and collaboration? I think we have to. We have to be able to appease and appeal to everyone. I mean, it is, uh, right now, it's probably a, a recruiting trend the talent is so scarce out there for most businesses that it's like, if you want to work from home. Yeah, we'll be as flexible as you need us to be. 
we've learned that you can do this pretty easily. But if you get too many remote employees at 100% being remote, then you start to worry about those people on a mental level and then also on a professional development level because it doesn't matter what you do for a living. You got to have that on-the-job training and you really can't get that off a Teams meeting. And so I think that we as leaders, we need to be able to create these types of uh, working environments, whether it's working from home certain days or working collaboratively or independently or as a team within the office. I think we have to get a blend of that and be comfortable with that and not having people with their, their butts in the chair, so to speak. That is gone. We need to trust each other and get the work done in a different way. And I think that the work uh, and the work environment is evolving in a, in a positive way. If you can get the best of both, focus and professional development and connectivity to one another. Right. How does technology play into this? Um, are we looking from a design and architecture perspective of um, making sure that we are future-proofing our buildings and our facilities and our structures to recognize that there is a need for remote teleconferencing? Um, are we going to end up wiring every office? Or are we just going to assume that everybody's personal device is going to be wired and it will lessen the need for that? How are you looking at it from a design perspective? Uh, I, for architecture, engineering, and construction, we still all need to be connected uh, digitally. So I don't see that going away and being replaced by devices. Uh, we still need to be able to share files and so on and things like that. At the moment, you can't do that on a phone. You still you can, but it's not very effective. So there is still the infrastructure of technology in the form of equipment and programs that are still required. There is a shortening of some of that and how we don't do too many drawings as much anymore. Everything is a three-dimensional model and the model is then shared virtually regardless of where you sit. So you can have 12 people on a, a hospital tower sitting in 12 different locations working on the same model. So that kind of connectivity you see that you'll continue to need uh, that you can't get with a phone. Sure. From a, a broad macro perspective, uh, clearly we can talk about trends, but when we go a little more micro, we're much more industry specific, aren't we? Um, there are certain industries, manufacturing and others, where you have to be on site. Um, but then there's others, service-based uh, advice, counsel kinds of things that can be much more remote. Where are we seeing um, ways of, of understanding the current thinking to handle both ends of the spectrum? How is new thinking and COVID affected the super hands-on and the super hands-off? And where do they diverge? I would say that in the built environment, uh, most of our practices are, are trending away from specific spaces. We need spaces that are very flexible. Programs change at, at colleges and universities. And uh, healthcare is always evolving with, with how they uh, approach their their EX or their customer or their employee and customer experience, CX is EX. Um, a big change I would say that we're starting to see in healthcare is that uh, medical office buildings are now starting to shift to, uh, you know, you check in on your phone and you go outside. And if you're in California, you have nice places to sit outside because the last thing you want to do is be indoors and with a bunch of people who might be sick. And so there's a lot of how uh, there's this, I guess I should say, there's been a huge shift lately on the value of exterior spaces as part of the built spaces. So how can, Interesting. We, how can we get people outside more and still have a business that takes advantage of that exterior space? 
So right. do you see that as something as a longer term trend? Certainly, we saw that um, very much during COVID. And we hope that this podcast is a little more evergreen and people might be listening to this for years. But we saw, you know, the, the version of new normal or new next was the touchless tomorrow. Yeah. Right. So everybody's got everybody's got a terminology for it. But the touchless tomorrow included curbside pickup, delivery, app ordering, all of those as well. How is that impacting? I know the two, two of the areas that you do a lot of work is in higher education, of course, in healthcare as well. How is, do you see that trend of um, don't touch me, uh, keep your distance continuing? Or once again, is that need for connection going to bring us back together? I think that, I think that the need for connection will always be there. I think that that's strong. I mean, anytime you have a function and you get enough people in a room or What's everybody talking about? Oh my gosh, it's so fun. It's so fun to see you. I, I have, I've missed you. I, I missed this interaction. But I also think that people are becoming, uh, are starting to see the value of exterior spaces as an extension of your program or your facility. And I, I mean, does that work everywhere in the country? No. Does it work more in California? Most definitely. I mean, our K-12 clients have begun to really study what's it like to have outdoor learning environments. And part of that is, is you know, I, I think it's not a matter of what, uh, if, it's a matter of when we kind of go through a pandemic again. And so what can we learn uh, on how to equip our buildings in a different way, not only for our the programs our clients are featuring or delivering to their clients, but the value of exterior spaces and, and the changing environment of a pandemic uh, that has had an impact on us globally. And it will change things forever. It'll constantly be evolving. How are companies, and and how much of it involves wringing of the hands, recognizing that as they're building new structures, and there will always be new structures, they have to take into account the new realities. But how much uh, consternation is there around, is this a blip? Is this forever? Do we build a building for 30, 50, 100 million dollars? based on our assumption of how we're going to work based on current conditions. How do you, as an architectural firm and a designer, how do you engage in those discussions and how do you steer those discussions? Because that's a big bet that companies are making as they're designing new spaces. Absolutely. Uh, space in California and pretty much across the country is very expensive. So you really want to make good choices. And, you know, you hear a lot of uh, terminology like let's future proof this building let's future proof that uh, I think that the reality is there's only a certain percentage that you can actually do a, to do a bit yes this is constantly evolving and right now I think that I would throw 30 to 35 percent uh, of a program space up in the air and looking at how we can do it differently uh, most of our clients are looking for uh, uh, I guess the trend uh, there's not too much of the wringing of the hands they do realize that the wringing of the hands probably is most common with, do I really need to build this building? Or is there an opportunity for to, to repurpose some existing space, such as a higher ed client wanting to send the majority of its administration staff that support the campus home and repurpose that space? Uh, how can I have less square footage to maintain? Um, again, some of this stuff goes to trends uh, and then a large percentage of it, especially in healthcare, goes to codes. We have to, you know, a surgery suite 
that room just about lays out itself with all the equipment sure. appearances and the requirements. So some of these spaces are pretty rigid and some of the spaces that are more uh, supportive to the uh, uh, clients or the uh, customers, as you like to call, um, are the areas that we're having more flexibility and really rethinking how those spaces work. And is that, is that part of the design process, more of the vanilla box kind of an approach of saying, let's, let's build out the exterior or the interior wall space, but with some flexibility so that five years from now, 10 years from now, we can move walls, we can move cubicles, we can create co-working spaces and couches and all of those kinds of things as well. Is there, is there an eye in the initial construction phase to more of that flexibility down the road? Absolutely. Um, you know, you see it with, uh, uh, sensors. A lot of clients are now outfitting their, their facilities with sensors or doing a digital twin. And with the sensors, you can actually track and see how much that room is being used. And if the room is not being used, then how can we repurpose it for something else? Again, less specificity to about 30% of the, the building is going to give you much more flexibility in the future to repurpose. And some of these awesome. programs that have driven the design are really programmed spaces that are in the past and people are not using them. Right. Um, when we, we spoke a couple of years ago, and I remember you talking about some of the, the learning and some of the incredible benefits that came out of people from varying departments who normally wouldn't see each other, um, finding ways of actually designing space that would create intentional bottlenecks where certain people had to pass the same area yeah. uh, just to create a collaboration that might not otherwise exist. Tell us more about that. <clears throat> One example was uh, in taking a, 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 a Fortune 500 company and redesigning their, their space. And in redesigning their space, you put all the leadership sort of down the center of the room and that you make all the employees then come in and go out every day through those various departments or those leadership so that you get the kind of rank and file intermixing with the leadership so that you get a, a dip, much different dynamic and it forces people from all departments to pass through and see one another almost on a daily basis rather than the old traditional, you know, where you had the, the top two floors of the building where it's leadership, and then you got all the people, the employees and the rank and file were on floors three through five. This takes all of the rank and file employees and funnels them through down the center of the building. If you can be able to do it, this was a single story building for this client. And we put the leadership down the middle and they were all forced then to interact. And it, it really starts to mesh and push everybody together. Uh, at HMC, we really try to make sure that it's it's an employee-rich environment, meaning that we are giving the best environment for the employees to do their best work and to be exposed with as much as you can of how the company works and those that lead different positions and departments. Because you know, what is the old line is, is who's the smartest person in the, in the room? It's the room of 10 people, not the one person. Right. Well, and, and as we're looking at fewer and fewer opportunities to be present, to collaborate and connect, um, there's real tangible benefits for this isn't touchy feely. I remember one of the things that you had, and, and maybe you can elaborate on this, that there was a, a story about a, a specific, whether it was a grant or a client or something that like a $20 million deal came out of a, a collaboration of people who wouldn't normally have even talked 
but had a chance to sit down and work together to come up with an idea, which is as business leaders, we're all trying to do, right? We're all trying to bring in the best and the brightest and where we get two plus two plus two equals 20 and creating space. And we have fewer opportunities now, don't we? With this flexible hybrid work environment, we really need to maximize that space. I think you might be thinking that we did an elementary school two years back uh, and we got a grant from the uh, an energy commission from the state of California or, or a municipality. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting. I'm blanking on it. And what it did is it adds several million dollars to the uh, construction of the elementary school, providing the money went to sustainability to teach elementary school kids the value of water. In Southern California, you know, water is hard to come by. Yeah. And we were able to put this environment with the local water uh, company or municipality and the school district and bring these two people together to really elevate how uh, kids in an elementary school can really learn the value of water and then take that home. And then we also had uh, outfitted it with uh, uh, gardens and so the kids could grow stuff and have it for lunch or take it home. And so it's really about expanding this particular one was about expanding the knowledge beyond what you would normally get in a elementary school and really teach I think, about the future yeah well i think part of it is is recognizing that space is not just a a, a general function but it is it is a um i'm sort of thinking about it as sort of a, a value add that's necessary for recruitment for retention, for um, connection and collaboration. But I mean, even more so today, I mean, I think we've always looked at it. People know space is important, but now it's really crucial, isn't it? That we, we overthink um, every possible angle, interior, exterior, to make the best environment for our customers, our clients, and our employees. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's not, I think that the, 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 the pandemic has really showed us it's not within a building of four walls. That, that's part of it. That'll continue. But how do we make those adjacencies to the outside spaces? And how can we maximize education, healthcare in an external environment? It doesn't have to be in a built environment. Right. And then, but we're also seeing for, for organizations how their learning is in all environments, right? How they collaborate is in all environments in the physical structure. And um, so, so put on your crystal ball, or I guess put on your hat and I'm mixing metaphors, but that's okay. Um, what, what is, what is the future, uh, like for your industry? I mean, I could ask you, what do you think that's going to happen in buildings in 10 years? But I think a lot of people, what's it going to do? Is there going to be a shakeout, um, within the architectural world as well of those who sort of get it and those who are traditional, um, and, is there going to be a widening of the gap between those who are really insightful and those who are merely competent? I think there is a, a possibility of that. Absolutely. Um, uh, the American Institute of Architects will tell you that average architectural practice in the country is three, three to five people make up a practice, which is primarily very traditional. Uh, and a lot of the times that's uh, homes and local businesses. Large-scale projects like we do at HMC uh, are going to be more digital, meaning that we will no longer, in the future, we will no longer be doing any types of drawings other than a three-dimensional model. We will be partnering with local suppliers, depending on where that building is going to get constructed. And then we're going to logistically work with those individuals for the lead time on the material 
send that stuff digitally over to the contractor and they'll take the, 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 the materials and so on and so forth and, and components and pieces that they'll need to it, price it out, share it with the owner. And we'll see a, a, a quickening of the projects from uh, to speed to market will be continuing to evolve. And I think that we've really learned again, uh, you know, the, the lead time for materials and the material shortages that we're experiencing in this country in the escalated construction costs. There's a lot of value if you're able to build a hospital tower and utilize building components within a 200 mile radius. Lead right. to market is a lot quicker. You're partnering with locals. So then the hospital is supplying and break, breaching out and helping economically impact the area with suppliers and so on. And I think it starts to go from a, this sort of large global digital model that everybody's in and it starts to hone down things in a local level that benefits the hospital and the surrounding area. And it also in uh, speed to market, it increases the, or shortens the construction time. I think Last question. No, I, I, it's all fascinating to me. Last question. What percentage of existing structures are, are not gonna be suitable for, uh, for modification? What percentage, I heard somebody, I heard a statistic, I don't know if it's true, they said within the next, um, five to, to eight years, 25% of all shopping malls will go out of business. And then, I, of course, what do we do with the structures? I think that, there, you know, a, a friend of mine who did purely retail at the beginning of the pandemic uh, did a lot of retail and hospitality, and some of that stuff was getting shut down and stuff. And someone says, what does that mean for you, Jim, in your business? He says, I see nothing but opportunity because somebody needs to reuse those spaces and repurpose those spaces. So I think that what we might, I think what we're going to see is a reduction in new construction and we're going right. to see an uptick in repurposing. It'll be fascinating to see if people want to get in touch with you and learn more about the work that you do at HMC Architects. How do they get in touch with you? Uh, you can go to our website. It's HMC Architects, that's with an S, dot com. Uh, and you'll find a host of leadership folks there. And we have an excellent PR guy named Bruce Bowl, and he can get you in touch with anybody. So I'd love to hear from others and expand this conversation. I think would be a kick in the pants. I think it's it, the more we talk, the better we'll get to things. I, I think so as well. I, I think we, we started the conversation before the pandemic. I think the pandemic has accelerated so many things, and, and it's great to get your your insight into that as well. Hang on for a second. We'll talk on the other side of this. Uh, let me tell you that the podcast is sponsored in part by the Customer Experience Advantage Morning Huddle. You know, some of your most innovative solutions to your biggest customer-facing challenges are most likely found within the creative minds of your own people. Let me contribute to your Morning Huddle conversation. You can learn more about participating in this powerful global initiative by visiting morninghuddlemembership.com. All of my books are available, as you see them on the video, strategically located here next to my head, including some of the international versions are Spanish and Russian and India. And as I move off the microphone, my new book is called The Morning Huddle. It's powerful customer experience conversations to wake you up and shake you up and win more business. Be sure to click to like this podcast, listen to past episodes, subscribe, leave your comments below and click the little bell icon to receive notifications of new episodes. And you can learn more about my keynote speaking and my consulting at davidavarin.com. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Customer Experience Advantage podcast. Check out past episodes, leave a comment. Big thanks to my guest, Brian Staten. I'm David Avrin. Be good. 
This has been the Customer Experience Advantage Podcast with David Averin. Feel free to leave a comment and be sure to hit the thumbs up button. You can listen to past episodes and be notified of future ones by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. David's popular marketing and customer experience books are available in print as well as Kindle and audiobook and published in multiple languages around the world. You can stay connected and learn more at davidaverin.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.